Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, if you need a copy of God's Word, just raise your hand. We'll get you one. It's not a problem at all. We're continuing our series called The Gifts in the Body. We are the body of Christ. If you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins are forgiven, you are eternally secure, you have everlasting life that can never be lost. But there are also a myriad of other things that have taken place, and the one that we are drawing the most attention to right now is that every single believer in Jesus Christ has a spiritual gift. Not one person is exempt. God values every single individual in the body of Christ. Everyone. Everyone is precious to Him. The blood of Christ covers every one of them. And He has not just redeemed us, but He has set us up for successful service. And the way that successful service is executed is by understanding exactly what spiritual gifts are. Number two, finding out what our spiritual gift is. And they don't necessarily have to go in this order between two and three. But number three, being involved so that your spiritual gift is used. Because the primary purpose of having spiritual gifts is the body of Christ needs to be built up. Now we try to build ourselves up by doing a lot of different things. But God has given us one grand way to see that happen. And that is, by me knowing my spiritual gifts and exercising them, I hope that you will be built up. And when you exercise your spiritual gifts, you will build me up. And next thing you know, we can't help but to go up. Now, I don't know about you, up is a good place to be. Anybody want to be down? Just making sure. So the question is, if we want to be up, and we know that's a good thing, and that's God's design for us, why would we not want to do it His way? So that's why we're taking the time to go through every one of the gifts, even the ones that may not have relevance or exist today, like we saw last week, so that we can be properly discerning of how to handle the Scriptures to the best of the ability that the Holy Spirit gives us, so that we can be an effective body. Now, I don't know this for sure. Maybe you have a lot of different connections with different churches. I'm hard-pressed to find churches that run according to the parameters of spiritual gifts that have been given to us in the New Testament. Sometimes it's very hard-pressed to find. And if that's the case, there becomes this, I don't know about this, because there's a danger of working in the flesh. Now don't get me wrong, are there a lot of busy churches? Yeah, a lot of churches are busy. Some of us are so busy, it ended up being Friday, we're not for sure where Monday went. We can all identify with that at some point. But to be actually saying, God has gifted me in this way, and this is how I serve Him in the body of Christ, and that's all I do. All of a sudden, that makes a big difference in how a church works. Because burnout becomes a thing of the past. Do you get tired? Yes. But do you get tired of the work given to you? No. Why? Because it's spirit-led. It's spirit 
power. It's the manifestation of the Spirit of the body of Christ. And when there's nowhere but up to go, why would you not want to keep going? It all sounds like a good deal to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects or workings, way of doing those ministries, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one, each believer is given the manifestation, the revealing of the Spirit for the common good. Now, I think this is really important. I know I've been hitting on this over and over and over again. I will chalk it up to Peter theology and say I'm stirring up your mind by way of reminder weekly, okay? But if we're talking about the fact that God's Spirit is manifest in us when we are walking in the Spirit and operating in spiritual gifts, that means that we are experiencing the Spirit of God. Understand that. And sometimes we freak out about that because that gets God off of paper and in, out into the open. Actually experiencing the Spirit of God working in our midst. That shouldn't be strange. That should be the church. Number two, it's never about building up self. It's never about how am I going to feel when this is all over and done with. That's usually the reason why we get involved in help or poverty ministries. A lot of times we do it, not every time, but a lot of times we do it because we feel really good when we walk away from it. We feel like we've done something of worth or of value. We may have done that, but the church's concern is, is did the Spirit do that through us? Because we want our brothers and sisters to be partaking of the common good, not us. People will do their spiritual gifts and that will pour into us and build us up. Our concern is not about having self at the forefront. You cannot operate spiritual gifts that way. So it says here, verse 8, For to one is given the word of wisdom, that's a speaking gift, through the Spirit, another the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, another speaking gift, to another faith, serving gift, by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, both of those are sign gifts that have passed off the scene, and to another prophecy, that's a speaking gift we're talking about today, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, that is also today, but it's a service gift. And to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. And let me go ahead and show my cards and say that's a sign gift and it is not valid today. Verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he, and that is the Holy Spirit, wills. The Spirit desires for us to have the gifts that we have because that's what He wants. And He knows how to operate the body better than we do. So we say, thank you God for giving me a spiritual gift at all. Please help me use it to the best of your ability in me. Not the best of my ability. My ability is going to accomplish nothing. The best of your ability in me to glorify you and to serve and build up the body. Today we're dealing with the idea of prophecy. Probably when I say the word prophecy, you immediately think of the idea of end times, something that hasn't happened yet that's going to take place, and I'm a little spooky if anybody tells me they have the gift of prophecy. Would, I, would you agree with that? Okay, we're a little on edge about that kind of thing. That's totally okay. If you have your inventory sheet, go ahead and pull it out of your Bible real quick. Again, if you don't have one of these, we can get you one. But at the end of, of going through all of these, once we hit 1 Corinthians 12, 28, we're going to take this again. 
where it's been modified and cleaned up just a little bit from what we've learned by doing a study through all of these gifts so that hopefully it will reflect a little bit more accurately. Does anybody need these? Would anybody like to have one? We've got some. No? Everybody's good? Everybody has one. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, great. I probably gave this to you, but you might not have gotten it. It's in the very first category, in the A category. The very first one is prophecy. Or if you want to write prophecy slash preaching. Prophecy slash preaching. The gift of prophecy is actually a gift of preaching. It all comes from the same spirit. Now, once you've written that down, you fold it up, tuck it back in your Bible for a little bit, and then you pull out your bulletin, and you pull out this page. And this page right here is going to give us a little rundown of research that was done extensively in the 70s about what the qualities of people who hold to the gift of prophecy may be like. So the spiritual gift of prophecy, here it is. The God-given ability to set before people the word and wisdom of God persuasively through personality as a herald. Does that mean that they're trying to convey God's word and God's wisdom and by being a herald, they yell a lot? Yes, it does. If you haven't picked up on on it yet, here it is, right? But it's someone who is calling people to mental conviction. And by this, we don't just mean mind, we mean heart. For the purpose of glorifying action. The mind has got to get changed by the Word of God before the actions follow that will glorify God. Why are we taking all of this time and going at a snail's pace through all of this? If we covered it too quickly, we could say, well, we covered that. But do we know it? Are we invested in it? Are we ingrained in it? Do we have our fingers deep in the sand? Do we have roots in the idea of understanding spiritual gifts? Could you turn it around and start explaining it to somebody else from what you've learned? I mean, isn't that the whole purpose of what goes on in the church? Is we're supposed to have this trickle-down effect of encouraging one another and talking with one another and building one another? That's exactly what's supposed to happen. Preaching is one of the main roles of which that happens. That's not the only role. Understand, teaching, exhortation, wisdom, knowledge. You need them all in order to serve, but they all serve as a cluster of what are known as speaking gifts. Now, here are some of the qualities that make up these people, okay? Number one, a strong emphasis on biblical authority. In fact, I will tell you this. If they are not convinced of the inerrancy of Scripture... They do not have this gift. Period. This first thing is actually where this gift starts. Now, let's take a time out for a second and let me just make a personal statement. I don't have anything good to tell you. I don't. I got a lot of words for you, Jay. <laughs> but none of them are good. <laughs> But this idea of struggling for clever antidotes and for smart little limericks or one-liners that came out of Reader's Digest 
When I hear preachers that do that stuff, it grates me to no end. Now, maybe you love it, and that's fine. But the conviction about the inerrancy of the Word does one major thing. It always keeps your source material front and center. Every time. And so you don't have to wonder about what's the message going to be or where is it going to come from. All you have to do is get engrossed in the text. That's it. The Holy Spirit teaches the heart, not the one with the gift of prophecy. Okay? So the idea of there being a strong emphasis on biblical authority, folks, we're losing it. We are. Be prepared. It started to become a real big problem in the teens and 20s, about 1925 or so. A guy named R.A. Torrey and some other smart conservative biblical scholars wrote a four-volume set called The Fundamentals. And they did it, why? Because they had to. Because crazy things like evolution and liberalism were taking over the landscape and the church was just falling along. You know, that seems to make a lot of sense. And they were denying God's word in favor of what was going to be a popular opinion poll. And so they had to take a stand. Guess what? That whole thing is a cycle. And we're coming back around to it again. You may not see it. You may not understand it. You may not know it. Keep your eyes open. Ask for God to give you wisdom in seeing this. But truth is now up for grabs, and everybody considers it incredibly relevant. And if you don't agree with that, you're just narrow-minded, bigoted, a jerk. Why should anybody listen to you? Let the source material be what the source material is. God does not apologize for telling people the truth. Neither should we. It says here, speak clearly. That's debatable. Organize material well. Yikes, okay? But that's usually common of them. Encourage and challenge people in matters of biblical conduct. Look for response and results. They want to see action. Now you know the Word of God. How has it changed your life? How has it made a difference? How do you now walk out of these doors as the church and become a better or different influence in your home, in your job, in your social circles, just hanging out at Walmart buying rice, it doesn't matter. All of it is done with the hopes that the Word of God has further convinced us and conformed us to its truth. How about this? Comfortable in working with groups of people. Obviously, right? Confident? That's also a snare. In fact, if you want to write next to that, pride, (laughs) you can, okay? Please. The ability to confront people when they are doing wrong. I will go ahead and tell you, that's never fun. But because of the first one, a strong emphasis on biblical authority, it mandates the last one. It has to. Sin is sin. And it has to be dealt with biblically. Now, two interesting things we want to see about a definition here. If you want to jot these down or these will be available for you. Number one, the gift of prophecy. Everybody see that it's a CY at the end. Everybody see that? That's because anytime that it's used with the CY in your Bible, it's used in a noun form. Okay? It says here, it is the capacity or ability to utter inspired messages. Being a spiritual gift, that's the goal of preaching. The goal of preaching is not that I preach well. It's that the Holy Spirit preaches through me. So that it can minister to your heart. 
A preacher without the Holy Spirit will try to minister to your emotions. But one who is submitted to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works on the heart. A preacher can never do that. So with the gift of preaching, it's actually a compound word, uh, prophetia, was the idea of phema, which is the idea of speaking, and then pro being the idea of before, to speak before. And that's where we get a lot of this associated with the idea of speaking prophecy, things before they happen. Now, here are some passages to look at that deal with this in the noun form. For the verb, we're going to just glance at them quickly, but for the noun, we need to pay attention because they're all used within the same letter. So, look over at chapter 13 with me. Of course, everybody knows the love chapter, right? The love chapter. Can anybody record that for us so we can play that when we get to chapter 13? Please. Look at verse 2. If I have the gift of what? There it is. If I have the gift of speaking before, of preaching, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, and look what else it's coupled with, and all knowledge, is that a speaking gift? Yep. And all faith, is that a serving gift? Yeah, notice, so as to move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. That's one good criteria, is it not? Lick your finger, hold it to the wind, and ask the question. The person preaching at me might be telling me a lot of things that I don't need to hear, but why are they doing it? Because they love wielding a club, is that why? We just have to play whack-a-mole with Christians, is that what we're doing? Or is it the fact that there's love that motivates biblical instruction there should be ask yourself the question sometime does this person with the gift of preaching and i understand it's kind of weird because i'm standing up here i get it do they love me that's really an important thing to ask because that lets you know that the words do not come from self-serving motives it comes from the fact that it's rooted in that god loves you that god loves me that's why i need to hear it just like you guys do So notice, there's another example. Move down to verse 8. And watch this. And we're going to deal with this again. This is a very interesting study when we get to it. But just pay attention to how it's used. Love never fails. Verse 8. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Now look at verse 9. For we know, there's your knowledge, in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Notice in both of these instances, Paul feels the need to bring up again the idea of prophecy, what prophecy is going to do, and then eventually it's going to be done away with. Now understand this, all spiritual gifts are going to come to an end at some point. The question is, is when does it happen? And we'll answer that question there. Now, moving forward in 1 Corinthians 14, the problem with the Corinthians was what? Do we remember? They were abusing what? Each other? Yeah, we'll give you that. The Word of God? Yes. What were they doing? It was a problem in tongues. Everybody wanted to speak in tongues. Everybody wanted to presuppose the idea that they all had the gift of tongues, and they did not. So Paul uses chapter 14 to engage this. And watch how he uses this. It's in the noun form, but pay attention to how it's structured. Verse 14, pursue love. Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, I believe personally that what he's using here, prophecy, speaking idea, is he's talking about that you would desire one of the gifts that is a speaking gift to be manifest in your life. And why is that? Because he pits speaking gifts against tongues. 
And he talks about how one is beneficial for the body and the other one is not beneficial for the body. Look what he says, verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, and that's the problem here. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Verse 3. But one who prophecies, prophesies, we could say it that way, speaks to men for, look at this, edification and exhortation and consolation. So to build up and to encourage and to comfort. Those are all things that happen. Tongues is not something that does that because it's not understandable to people. However, the speaking gifts do that. Now watch this, verse 4. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Stop. Are the gifts used for self? Pay attention. But one who prophesies edifies what? The church. It's because preaching is meant to encourage and build up the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Notice that that is lifted above tongues. And greater is one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets. There's the trigger. So that the church may receive edifying. Now, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you, either by way of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Everybody see that knowledge, prophecy, and teaching there are all the speaking gifts that we've covered. Everybody see that? In fact, some people would go as far as to say, well, what Revelation would actually concern it with might be the idea of knowledge and wisdom working together. It's possible. But remember, at this time, they don't have a completed New Testament. So chances are, when it's speaking of Revelation, it is talking about God has something to say, and you can actually prove this later in the chapter. God has something to say in a moment that he wants to communicate. And since the blueprint for the church of the New Testament is not lined out yet, he's actively getting involved in interrupting what we would consider the norm in order to get his message in front of people. That's perfectly acceptable for that. Now we have the New Testament. We believe in what's called a closed canon of Scripture, that there's nothing else that needs to be added. And so, therefore, we don't. This is why I get a little leery when I have people say, well, the Lord spoke to me and said this. Okay? Does it jive with Scripture? Can we find where it's located at? What's the chapter and verse for the reasoning why we would think that is from the Lord? Don't think that Satan can't impress you to do things. Don't think that he can't lead your mind astray. And we've got to be discerning and we've got to know the difference. So, revelation, knowledge, prophecy, teaching, those ended up being the things that are beneficial. Now, let's move to where the idea of prophecy with an S-Y at the end of it. This is what makes the difference. The S-Y is actually found in the verb form. And here are the three possible meanings it could have. To proclaim an inspired revelation. Now, that could be something that is already revealed, yet you are in the act of doing it. This is why we don't just say preaching. Does that make sense? It's the idea of that can actually come forward. It doesn't have to be telling something that was previously unknown. It's the idea of simply bringing forth God's word. Number two, to tell about something that is hidden from view. It might be the idea that somebody would know something that would not normally be known. Now, here's what's freaked out. You deal with in John chapter 11, I think it is, where Caiaphas, the high priest, is prophesying the fact that Jesus would die for the people. He's not a redeemed person. Yet God uses his, him as an instrument to convey unrevealed truth to completely lost people. That's pretty incredible to me. Do I understand that? No, I don't have a clue. 
But that's how God works in that situation. The third one, to foretell something that lies in the future. And that's how we normally associate the idea of prophecy or preaching. Now, here are a couple of things to go with this. In fact, I do want you to see this since we're in the same book. Turn back to chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11. Because prophecy was not just regulated to men only. Chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying, notice that she can prophesy, she can speak forward and expound truth, disgraces her head for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Yikes. You say, what in the world does that mean? Study it at home, let me know later, okay? We're not, we're not going to get caught into that right now. But here's the thing, both men and women could do it. So if you were a lady and you went through your spiritual gifts, and again, they're not foolproof, remember that. But you went through and you said, man, I got the gift of prophecy. That's not right. It is right. It could very well be right. Which means you need to be in a position where you can sit down and expound God's word and encourage people from the truthfulness of the word so that they can be built up. There's nothing wrong with that. Does the scripture give parameters for a woman to hold a pastor position in the church? No, it does not. You will not find it. You will actually find two instances where Paul says it's not to be that way. We'll discuss that later. It's in 1 Corinthians 14. We'll deal with this. But understanding the gift of the idea of prophesying or having the opportunity to be preaching, and we we get kind of weird when we use that in that situation. But yeah, expounding forward God's truth as it's already revealed, absolutely. But having that office that's been spiritually gifted to the church, the Bible says no. How about this one? you want to write this down, 1 Peter 1.10. Just go to that one, PJ. We don't have to turn there. In 1 Peter 1, he talks about the greatness of salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. The full gamut of it. Man, it's so great. And here's something that he brings up at the end that is very revealing. As to this salvation, the prophets, now we're more familiar with that idea, Old Testament coming along, gloom and doom guys, right? They're actually a bunch of, a happy bunch. They were just treated bad. They're misunderstood people, okay? Very moody. Uh, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. What does that mean? It means the idea of unfolding salvation that would come through a Messiah. This is something that God had been telling for a long time. We understand this because Old Testament, it's concealed. New Testament, it's revealed. We find out that his name is Jesus. We find out that he is going to be born of a virgin. In Bethlehem, all of a sudden, all the prophecies that we have in the previous testament are coming true in the New Testament. And that's how we put that together and have that understanding of that word. Not only that, but if you look to Revelation, if you want to just write it down, Revelation 1.3. In fact, Revelation brings us up at least four, if not five times. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the what? Prophecy. Do you realize that John is talking about it? Third verse in. He's talking about the entire book. It's mentioned four other times, I think it is, in Revelation 22 at the very end. Those who listen and heed the words of this prophecy. All 22 chapters of Revelation. We have an entire book that is labeled as a genre of prophecy. God revealing forward His Word. So, the words of this prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So that's another way that this idea of prophecy is used. Now, You may have seen this chart before. I modified it just slightly.
But I wanted to give you like a visual understanding of what are the differences that we're talking about between these two. Well, prophets with this idea is going to be the fact that they're largely predictive. Not all the time. But they'll have situations where they're going to predict the future for someone. They're going to tell them of the bad things that might be coming. Or they're going to tell you about something that's going to take place in the kingdom. Or the restoration of Israel. The fact that when Israel is disobedient, nations are getting ready to come in and disperse them as God's discipline against them. However, when you deal with a pastor-teacher role, you're dealing with the idea of prescriptive, okay? This is the medicine that you need to take in order for things to go better. Anybody take prescriptions? Guess what? The Word of God is the most important one you can swallow. Sometimes we have trouble swallowing it, but that's what's needed today. Notice over here with prophets, it's the idea of foretelling something. It may not have been previously revealed, but now the prophet's going to be used by God to demonstrate his revelation for people. However, with pastors and teachers, it's going to be foretelling. Forgive me, forth-telling something. It's already been revealed, and you can check it. In fact, if you were to look further on in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, let the prophets speak. Two at the most three. And everybody needs to check what they said. Now here's a question. How could you check what they said if everything that happened with the prophet was going to be strictly telling the future? You can't. You've got to have a foundation and a base. And at their time, the Old Testament was used in order to check every bit of revelation that was given through a prophet at that time. How about also that prophets will usually deal with future events? Here's what God's will is in the situation. The possible judgment that's going to come and often calling people to repentance. Maybe one of the most famous prophets that we understand is Jonah. That Jonah's supposed to go and he's calling people to repentance. Everybody remember this, right? We all know it from Sunday school because it's the big fish story. And the idea of some guy getting swallowed up is like, ew, right? And then he gets vomited on the shore and all the girls are like, ooh, and all the boys are like, yeah. Because that's how we think about that story. But here's the amazing thing about Jonah. Was Jonah a prophet? He was. Did he ever predict anything? Ooh, see, that's what's interesting about this. Did he, pre- did he predict that Nineveh would be destroyed if they did not what? Repent. Did Nineveh repent? They were not destroyed, were they? Is he a liar? Ooh, see, that's interesting. He told them the truth about a possible situation that would take place. And because people responded to the word of God, God was compassionate and had mercy in that situation, and he withheld judgment. Now, the sad thing about that is, is about 100 years later, God did bring judgment on Nineveh because they would not repent. But normally, the calling of a prophet, as we think in the Old Testament, is a call to repentance. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, what we understand as pastor and teacher is not any different from that. It's a call to repentance, but it's a call to repentance because of more revelation that we have. We actually have the New Testament. They did not at this time. And sometimes I wonder if we value the revelation of the four Gospels that we have, the early history of the church, all of this crazy deep theology that Paul has spilled out there. The fact that we have the book of Revelation, which brings a ton of crowning clarity to some of the prophecies we would come across in the Old Testament. God has really done an amazing work with the Bible. He's done an amazing, profound, Holy Spirit-inspired, perfect work with it. We should be grateful. As it says here, it could be evangelistic, evangelistic calls, but the idea is it's an exposition of God's Word that's already been revealed. The idea is to take what's written on the page and unfold it so there's more clarity that we can understand in a greater way what is exactly before us. Not everybody has the gift to be able to sit down and be able to do that. 
But those with the gift of prophecy, those with the gift of teaching, especially those with knowledge, those three in particular are going to be the more word-oriented, task-oriented in those situations. Wisdom, exhortation, they are way more people-oriented because they're trying to build people up by encouraging them and use application from what the knowledge guy sweated all week coming up with, okay? So that's how those gifts all work together. Not only that, but it's for the purpose of one thing. The Word of God is the water that God uses over the seeds that He's planted by the Holy Spirit in order to cause growth. It's not just in word, it's in deed. Now here's the sad thing that we've got going on right now. A lot of times in America, churches are leaning so deed heavy that they've forsaken the word in doing it. Now to our own fault, most churches that fall within the Bible, and I know we're not a denomination, but fall into the Bible category slot have been so word oriented that they forgot to put legs on anything that they did. The idea is to keep it in balance. And when you've got people who are exercising the speaking gifts and people who are exercising the serving gifts, you can't help but to keep it balanced because it's God's way of doing church. Everybody with me on that? Okay. I got a lot of pent up frustration, baby. Work with me. Okay? But it's there. Because we don't just want to be a smart church. We want to be knowledgeable in the Word of God. But we want to be compassionate in the care of people. Those two things are not disjointed. They hold hands, as they should. My concern is a lot of times we don't see churches doing that. You say, man, there's a serving element missing here. There's a word element missing here. Let's not make those mistakes. Let's learn from them. Okay, moving on. Last place we'll look. Turn to 2 Timothy. Again, we could go through every instance it's mentioned in here. It would be a fun little word study. But I really want you to see the essence of what goes on with this gift and why it's essential. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, if you're familiar with 2 Timothy 4, number one, we need to, I know I bring this up all the time. You're probably sick of me saying it. But remember, chapter and verse numbers were not part of the original. So if they were reading this letter straight through, he just got done letting us know that all Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is profitable. It's beneficial. Not just to the person of which it's taught to, and they assimilate that in their lives, but the overflow that goes into the body of Christ. And you see all kinds of wonderful things that spring out of it. Just if you look at verse 16, it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Giving us the knowledge so that we can serve well. Serve God's way. Do it how God prescribed. And then, without a chapter break there, Paul immediately writes in this. Now watch this. A strong statement about the inspiration of the Word of God, and then he immediately wants to move in after displaying its benefits, a charge to Timothy. Here's what he says. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God, number one, and of Christ Jesus, number two, who is the judge. Yikes! Does everybody know that Jesus is the judge? Anybody hear that? Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Right? Jesus. So God and Jesus together. And Jesus is the judge. Now, Christian, where does this immediately put your mind? If we're talking about Jesus Christ being the judge, the Bema Seat of Christ. 
the judgment seat of Christ. It's not to judge your salvation of whether you're going to heaven and hell. That's a decision that is made here and now when you hear the gospel that he died for your sins and rose from the grave. If you believe that, your eternal security is locked up and your sins have been forgiven. That's a done deal. But that's also how you get your admission ticket before the judgment seat of Christ because unbelievers do not go there. This is important. So notice, God and Jesus Christ. Do you guys think that both of them are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ? Are we even having debate about that? Of course they're going to be there. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Does everybody know that? Okay, just making sure. So they're going to be there, right? Okay, good. Watch this. Who is to judge the living, there's your Bema, and the dead. Where's the dead? What's it called, Pete? Great white throne judgment. Notice that. Jesus Christ is the judge of both. It's all unbelievers, the dead. Okay, now watch this. It's pretty serious. Does this sound like serious language? Okay, look what he says here. The living and the dead, and by his appearing, anybody know what that's called? It's called the rapture. By his appearing and his kingdom. Anybody know what that's called? The millennium. Good grief, this is weighty. We're in one verse, I'm about to drown. God and Jesus. Judging, living, and dead. And this has also got involved, the rapture and his coming kingdom. Pretty serious. And what's he say after that? Look, verse 2. Preach the word. Anybody got the Holman Christian Standard Version? Vern, is that the one you use? What's verse 2 say? You know what's amazing about Vern's edition? Vern's edition is an incredible, accurate, word-for-word translation. It's great. I think they missed the boat on that one. Proclaim the message. Okay. You know what I hear? Preach the word! Tell people about Christ! Build them up! Let them know that there's a life that's greater than what they're settling for in the Monday through Saturday because Jesus Christ has got something to say about every little issue. So notice, you need somebody that comes in there that's got this unusually twisted up fire in them that is going to use the Word of God as their source material. To say, I don't see it happening. And this has got to be happening. It's got to be taking place. Why are we not more effective if the Holy Spirit is real? Why are we not more triumphant if our position in Christ is already locked up? Why do we get easily discouraged when the God who spoke all things into existence is called your Father? Everybody see that? Now, am I telling you anything new? No, but am I telling you things that often get forgotten in the busyness of life? Forth-telling truths from the Word of God. And this is why you need somebody who comes in there who preaches the Word. Now, here's what's interesting. There's your source material. Look what it says. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's cool and when it's not cool. When people want to hear it and when people don't want to hear it i love it i was reading a new testament survey earlier this morning just going over what do they got to say about this and the guy said be instant 
I love that. Be instant, right? We get impatient with making coffee, we get instant coffee. We get patient. Anybody ever, do we even do popcorn on the stove anymore? Some of you guys do? We don't. We go, it's got a popcorn button. Yeah, because we want instant popcorn. Now, there's a lot to be said about our lack of quality and impatience, but there's everything to be said about when you need it, it's there. And notice what he's saying about the Word of God. When it's ready, when it's not, but you be ready. Doesn't matter if they want to hear it or they don't want to hear it. You be on task at a moment's notice. Always have the sermon in your back pocket. We're actually working on that in elder meetings now. Do you have a sermon in your back pocket? What is it? Preach or pray? Preach, pray, or die die at a moment's notice. Wow. Preach, play, or die. Sometimes when I play, it sounds like I'm dying. Let's move on. Be ready in season and out of season. Now watch what accompanies this. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. How many people like the word reprove? Nobody does, do we? You know why? The word means scrutinize. Scrutinize. This is why, forgive me girl, this is why, I'm sitting in a teaching situation and somebody says something, I'm like, oh man, that's not what the Bible says. You'll hear audibly the needle go across the record. <laughs> to stop everything. Yeah. What's that? And you'll see it in my face. You are so patient with me. I love you so much. You're such a nice lady, I promise. <laughs> My, my wonderful sister Joanna has had to deal with me lately in situations like this, and she did so very graciously, and I'm so thankful for that. But to scrutinize everything that's going on. Why? See, the amazing thing about what Satan wants to get done in the church is not just straight-up lies. It's truths that are lie-coded. Right? This is the whole reason why we put animal pills in those little chewable things. They don't want the pill. You slap some bacon around it, they're eating everything. And too often, we become bacon-craving Christians when we don't realize that the very thing that we're swallowing is going to kill us. And so we swallow anything. The person with the gift of prophecy is there in order to stop that. To have the red flags go up and be the person who says, wait, we got to pull that apart and ask, is that what God wants us to know? And you have to deal with that situation. So no, nobody likes the word reprove. We may not like it, but is it necessary? Oh, absolutely. How about the next part? Rebuke. Anybody like that word? Don't. Jay, I could send some rebukers your way, okay? I'm going to line up some people to come to you. How's that? Good grief. I feel like I'm at a carnival sometimes up here. I don't even know what's going on. But the idea of rebuking, warning, warning somebody. It's stepping into a situation and saying no because they didn't. Are we always so quick when sin is lurking about or we find things that we really want, somebody comes in and says no? We're not, we're not very apt to that, are we? We don't take to that very well. In fact, it's abrasive. It's like they just slapped us across the face from across the room. And you know why? Because they needed it. That's why. 
because we needed to come to our senses about what is reality in this situation. I've got a friend who's going to Ethnos. How you doing, man? I don't know. I hate this place. It's like, well, you prayed about it for about six years and God finally opened the door for you to come. Why do you hate it? So notice ungratefulness had said, and he kind of lost sight of what God had done previously to make this happen. I don't know. I just want to be doing this and smoking my cigarettes and because they won't let you smoke there. You know? How do you deal with a situation like that? You rebuke them? I mean, do you get feisty with them? Do you realize what God has done to set you up for success? Do you realize that He's embedding in you now greater things that He's going to accomplish through you? Don't lose sight. Don't give up. If you're tired, rest in Him. He's got big shoulders. He can take it. See, that's the interesting thing. Just because rebuke has that hard K sound doesn't mean that we got a hard K him across the face. Love them to the truth. That's a rebuke. Finding the way to say it. Being tonally pleasing, but heart-wrenching. Let the truth of God's Word speak it. How about this? The last one here. Exhort. We all love exhort, don't we? Yes. You know what? How about you not reprove me or rebuke me? Just exhort me. Right? That's like our choice. Exhort me. The Greek word here, parakaleo. It's the same idea that we use about the ministry of the Holy Spirit being our advocate, being our comforter. What it means is the one who comes alongside. Comes alongside you. Now think about this for a second. Have you ever thought about the fact that while we sit around sometimes waiting for the Holy Spirit to come alongside us, that it's actually the fact that God wants to use His children who have the indwelling Holy Spirit to come alongside them. This is why we're told that we can comfort one another with the comfort that God has given us. Because in our special circumstances, we don't know what to say. But when the issue comes along like we've been through with the Lord, that's when he brings this parakaleo, this calling alongside to someone to put your arm around and to love them and to encourage them to the truth. Whether it be sin that they committed or sin that was committed against them or just the fact that they're a victim of sin in general. God loves to use his people for his work. It's part of what the preaching ministry of the word does. And look how he says this, the attitude that goes with it. With great patience. And here's the reason why. Because the job's never done. The job is never done. The Word of God is always needed. And it says here, and instruction. Careful and constant reiteration. Truth after truth after truth. Over and over. Here's a question. Are you going to be the same person? That goes, I know this might not be an incredibly impactful or challenging message, just unfolding what the gift of prophecy is to do within a church. But do we see enough glimpses of God's truth to say, maybe I've been thinking poorly about that aspect in my life. Maybe I haven't been reverencing God enough. Maybe your mind just goes back to Psalm 115.1. i tell you this, I didn't plan on sharing that today. Not until a little bit before I got here. 
And then the Lord put it on my heart and recognized, you know what? I'm actually the center of my existence and it all revolves around me. Because I promise you this, you're a poor king and you need to surrender your throne. There's a greater king that desires to sit there and he deserves it. Are we going to be the same people? Preaching should make the difference of the word being in people's lives to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with patience and constant teaching regardless if we want to hear it or not. It is needed for the building up of the body. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that the Word of God is a rich well of which to drink from. Lord, that You would change us by conviction of Your Spirit. Maybe we're recognizing today that we don't worship You in spirit and truth. Maybe we're recognizing that the person that we came to church to serve is ourself. Maybe we see that any glory to be had is the spotlight we want to be in front of. And Lord, all of this pushes you to the side so that we can make much of ourselves. Thank you that you are full of loving kindness. Thank you that you are the truth. Thank you that you give us truth. Lord, how badly we need the spiritual gift of preaching, prophecy to be exercised. To be speaking truth into our hearts and minds. To be enriching and convincing our souls of the better things that Jesus has died and resurrected to secure for us. Lord, I know I need it. Thank you, God, for when people preach into my life. Even when I don't want to hear it. The fact is, I need to hear it. And I thank you, God, for making that a reality for the building up of the body. We have the gift of preaching, Lord. Teach us. Teach our hearts. And may we be people who are expounding the word for the betterment of others. We don't have this gift. And let us pray for the ones who do because of how badly we need to hear that as it spurs us on to serve better. And we pray that in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.